So let me, uh, <laughs> thanks. So, um, so let me explain how kind of this works. So, because I get, I, I, over the last two or three weeks, I, gonna, I get a lot of questions about this, a whole lot of questions. Well, the polls are saying this, and the polls are saying this. Um, polls in today's society, polls are used to manipulate votes. They're not used to actually show you what's going on, okay? And so for the last couple months, the polls will be saying all of this nationwide, all, uh, you know, I, I get a company, there's a couple of groups that send me data, not polls, but data of what's going on in Colorado and for me and that kind of thing. And, um, and it's not anything like what you're seeing out there. It's actually real data. But uh, polls are used to manipulate voters by liberals to try to get you to think, well, oh, everybody is thinking this. If you remember about two or three weeks ago, the buzz on the media was um, uh, many people in our country are very upset about the overturn of Roe versus Wade, and uh, that's probably going to change the election. Okay? Well, yes, many people have been upset for 60 years for Roe versus Wade, but we finally won that one, and we're pushing back. And so um, what you do is when you're looking at polls, you look at the last four to five days. Right? So starting this at the beginning of the weekend until now, all of a sudden these polls are so different than they were two months ago. And the reason, even two weeks ago, the reason is because these companies still want to get hired after the election. And so they have to have some credibility to say, yeah, well, we, we were, this is what we were hearing two months ago, but you know that three or four days before the election, yeah, well, this is what we we're hearing. And these are actually fairly accurate numbers that are going to be coming out. They're still... Uh, uh, swinging away to the left. But um, so, so that's kind of the first thing. The, the, the second part of this is we are going to see a red wave across this country. Now, be careful with this because that is a Republican wave, but that's not necessarily a conservative wave. We're seeing the same thing in Colorado. In Colorado, Colorado is going to gain some seats. We're probably going to win the Senate, and then um, we're going to gain some seats in the House. But those are not necessarily conservative votes even more so in Colorado than other places. These are Republican votes. Now, that's, that's still good. It's still important. But here's, here's the reason I'm saying all of this, is I believe the next couple of months are going to be very interesting. This is what I think is going to be happening. And so, um, and by the way, I hope this doesn't happen, but I do think this is what's going to be happening, is we're going to see a lot of, um, we're going to win the House. This is national. We're going to win the House. We're going to win the Senate. And the first thing that is on... Uh, some of these guys' agenda, they've already been saying this. In fact, if you've noticed this last week, a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the mask mandate, vaccine mandate, shut down the country, shut down travel people are now saying we shouldn't go very hard, be very hard on these people after the election. Okay? Um, I think they need to be put in jail. I think Fauci needs to be put in jail. Because this isn't accident. These are people that knowingly lied and knowingly made millions and millions of dollars off of the deaths of Americans. And uh, that's still a crime. Okay? Now, this is why I'm saying this. This is what I think is going to happen. Over the next few weeks, there's going to be a lot of this discussion, a lot of stuff that's going to be going on having to do with the setting up of, not beginning, but the setting up of language of prosecution and a lot of this kind of stuff. Plus, there's going to be a lot of pushback in states. I think states um, are going to be uh, making some, some, many already have, but uh, some newer states are going to be making uh, um, anti-abortion laws. They're going to be banning abortion. They're going to be banning things like CRT in, in schools. 
and uh, SEL. I know that one is caught on in Colorado. We, we don't have CRT in Colorado, so now we have SEL, which is so social-emotional learning, and that is a doorway for CRT stuff. It's, it's, just, a, it's just an in-run around the CRT rules. And so we're going to start seeing a lot of this pushback um, because of the red wave across the country. That will, um, that will cause upset across this country. The way liberals cause upset is through violence and destruction. Uh, that has been proved by Antifa and BLM and everything else over the last two to three years. And so I think this is going to be happening. Now, the way that it affects us as the church is um, I'm saying by next spring, we're going to be seeing some major things happen with the church. And this is how we already know this. You can look this up. You can see a lot of details about this. This is not making a lot of media, but this is, this is happening right now. Uh, two weeks, George Soros began funding a group that he set up, and the group is designed specifically to go after churches and try to get their 501c3 status uh, taken away and get these churches shut down for anything they do and say that's political, okay? Um, George Soros has been pushing this for a while, and now he's got this group, and he's going to be working um, into the, to pushing into the White House and pushing into the top levels of the government because everything under that is going to now be red, right? So they're going after churches strongly. It is no coincidence that, that just a few months ago we installed 78,000 new IRS agents and now George Soros is funding to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a group that will um, help the government shut churches down for tax-exempt status. Guys, this is, again, I know I've been, I feel like this is all I say for the last two or three years, is this has all been conspiracy theory stuff until the last few years, and now we're seeing it unfold right in front of us. They're going after the churches. A lot of the other stuff you're going to see over the next couple months is going to be stuff. It's going to be, we're going to be talking about prosecution. Whether they ever prosecute Fauci or people like him, they're going to be talking about it. There's going to be a lot of turmoil, and there's going to be a lot of smoke screen. But, but quietly under the, the, the smoke, uh, Soros, Biden, and the IRS is going after churches. And we're seeing that happen right now. So, so what do we do? We, we pray and we stand strong. No matter what happens, we stand strong. We have a plan. We've talked about this. We have a plan uh, with the church or what happens if the church can no longer have services together. We're actually going to be discussing this. Um, as a board having to do with a lot of layers of this, with, the, um, with financial, uh, legal, all of this other kind of stuff. We're going to get some legal things set up. What happens if we cannot have church in our building or if things get pushed away or any of that stuff starts happening? So, so what do we do? We pray. We do the best we can to push forward. Um, and and the, the only reason that this is, is kind of scary to us in America is because we've never experienced it before. But you realize the church in North Korea doesn't have a 501c3 tax-exempt status? The church in China doesn't have uh, tax-exempt status. So we're going to be okay. Uh, we just have to, we will have to change when these events uh, start happening. And I don't th I'm not saying that's an overnight thing. I'm saying that's a buildup. But we are seeing there's already groundwork for this happening right now in our country uh, financially and legally and everything else. So, so Tuesday is election Please vote. If you don't vote, I will not be happy with you. Please vote. Um, guys, this is, this is what makes America different than most countries around the world. 
is we can vote. And you say, yeah, but it's broken, it's corrupt, and okay, but still vote. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think our elections are very broken and very corrupt, but vote. Just vote. You're exercising, the, I think, the responsibility you have as a person in a free country. Because it will be sometime in the future when voting is, will not happen. And so please vote. Take it to the DMV if you can, or go vote in person. I know that takes a little longer time. But, um, but we can't keep shouting, oh, mail-in ballots are, are broken and corrupt, and then you mail your ballot in. That doesn't make sense. Go and vote. Go to the DMV or take your ballot filled out and take it to the DMV and hand it in there. Don't put it in a, in a ballot box. All right. So I'm continuing with... Um, Marriage, I've decided to continue with my marriage. <clears throat> I think all of you would be proud of me. So, um, so uh, in, in looking at this, this, this subject actually, so I do go over, this is one of the subjects I make sure that I go over with uh, couples when I'm doing pre-married counseling. This is, this is a very important subject. But interestingly, I did not, um, I did not arrive to the conclusion of this subject or, or see this in Scripture or understand it as a marriage thing. I, I began to later apply this to marriage. It, 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 it should have been applied much earlier in my life once I understood it, but I didn't quite get there yet. Um, but this is something that I think if you, can, if you grab onto this, it, it affects everything in your life. Um, some, at work, this will affect your work life as much or more than anything uh, you'll do as a Christian, or the mindset, anything you do as a Christian. Um, you own your own business. This is, a, um, this is a, uh, a, a, an important theological mindset. It's not just action. It's how you think. And, um, and any, any particular area of your life, any relationships, anything that you're doing, this, this is the foundation of this. And this is a, a, um, a concept of, of how sowing and reaping works in our life and what that looks like. Uh, marriage can be difficult, right? I, I make little jokes and do things about this, but marriage can be very difficult. Uh, this is a mysterious union. It doesn't make sense that two people would be able to get along with each other um, for decades. And then you throw all the crazy stuff that life is with, with finances and with children and, and um, all, you know where you're living and what you're doing and your work settings. And then... The fact that Satan is constantly trying to tear this thing down and, and, and uh, break your marriage, disrupt your marriage, marriage can be very difficult. Uh, the, that other person can be very difficult. doesn't matter who it is. That other person can be difficult. Why? Because they are also a, a human being trying to figure life out too. They also, by the way, think you're difficult, right? So that you know this. Um. I just have recently found this, like two or three weeks ago, I was like, Linda, you, you get upset at me? Um, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes as, as a husband. I, I've hurt the idea of marriage. I've hurt my marriage. I've hurt my wife deeply. I, I didn't intend to most of the time. Or early on, I think I intended to a few times to really hurt her. I wanted to hurt her feelings. Um, and I, when I say things like that, people are like, oh, you were, oh, you were such a jerk. And so were you. You say and do things that you just shouldn't have said. You, you act ways that you shouldn't act. And so does your spouse. Okay? We, under, we understand this. So here's some questions to really process. Because I don't go down this road. You know, when I'm doing pre-married counseling, unless both of them have been, like, divorced and this is going to be um, 
a marriage together after that. I'll, I'll go down this road actually with them quite a bit. But, but I don't always go down this road with this, but to really think through what it means to have past issues, sins, um, attitudes, problems, baggage, all of that kind of stuff. Marriage is difficult in this. When you, the, the first time you get married, you got a lot of problems called you. The second time you get married, you got a lot of problems called you, the previous relationship, the previous person, and now trying to do this. That's a whole lot of more layers. That's a whole lot of more uh, um, junk, baggage, stuff like that, right? So there's, so there's past stuff that goes on. What, what about, what, what happens if, because if, um, when I'm doing this series, now, I, and I'm not trying to pick on this too much, but because I don't see this as a, a negative, um, there are people in our church that have not come to this series because I'm talking about marriage. And they've told me that because it's too difficult, it's too painful. I totally understand that. I'm not picking on them at all. I totally understand that. Now, I hope they at least try to listen to it online because I think there's some stuff that they can get from this. But they didn't have a good marriage. And what does that look like? And the, the pain that comes along with that. The, uh, the baggage that comes along with that. Um, sometimes it's they had a great marriage, but it's so difficult because they lost their spouse. And how do you process this? There's a lot of what happens if you're, um, what happens if you're married to a non-believer? I, I get that regularly. I get a lot of questions. I get a lot of conversations about that regularly. What does that look like? How, what do you do? What are the responsibilities? Because I think there's some scriptural things. I, I'm not going to unpack a lot of those this morning, but there are scriptural things that if you're married to an unbeliever, for, as a male married to a female unbeliever, and, a, they're, and they're different, by the way, for the male and the female, scripturally. What happens if you're female married to a, an unbeliever? Um, there's, a, there's scripture that talks about that stuff. What do you do about that? Um, there are answers for this. There are relational answers. There are financial answers. There's a lot of stuff that goes, that goes on with this. Um, what, what if there was uh, infidelity or abuse or any of that kind of things uh, in my past marriage or uh, in my marriage now? What do you do with this? Now, I do want to say this so there's no confusion here. There, I do think it's important to, to know we, we, we stand very strong here at Church of Bargate for marriage. We stand for marriage over the individual because that's what Scripture says, okay? Now, that's not always comfortable, and it's, and it's not always as, as easy as I would make that sound right there. Because here's another thing is if there's physical abuse, I'm, I'm going to, as a pastor, I'm going to help somebody get out of that physical abuse and, and to separate themselves uh, from that other person. Um, I know there's such a thing as emotional, mental abuse. I get that, verbal abuse. Um, this, this is not as popular to say it this way. Scripture doesn't give us that same out as he does with sexual um, infidelity or, or uh, um, sexual abuse or, or something like that, right? The reason I say that is I think sometimes we, I, well, I know because we've, we've started using um, emotional abuse as an excuse for a lot of things in our country right now. And I know there is such a thing, verbal abuse. I know there is such a thing. I get it. But I also think that sometimes we use that as an excuse. Well, I'm just going to get away from that. I'm going to get. I, I don't know that you can live very long at all on this planet before you are emotionally and verbally abused by somebody. Now I know that's not the same as being in that marriage and ongoing. Okay, but we do encourage. Will we not encourage? We'll help people get out of a physical abusive relationship. Um, scripture says that that infidelity 
is a reason why you can separate that relationship. But it doesn't say you have to. Right? That's a big one also. I've seen amazing, amazing stories over the years. Many, many times when I did not give a couple uh, the benefit of the doubt on this, and I, I'd be in, I've done this so many times where I'm counseling somebody and I go home and talk to Linda. I say, I don't know if they're going to make it. He cheated on her and she cheated on him, blah, blah, blah. And then they do. And 10 years later, they're married and they're healthy and they've got a great relationship. And I didn't, that's beyond me. As a human, that's beyond me. It's not beyond what I see in Scripture, but it's beyond how I process this as a human being. To me, infidelity is about the worst thing you can do to somebody. Well, God is still a grace giver. And he's still a peace giver. And he still reconciles and fixes and heals. Um, That's just a supernatural thing, I think. So... Matthew chapter 13. Now, I'm going to come back to this story uh, quite a bit. through the. This is the running story through the whole message. And oh, by the way, I'm telling you right up front so you don't get confused about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this story and use it out of context. Okay? As I'm talking about this, lady, you're be like, that's not what the story is about. Right. So, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Here is another story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. This is important. Should we pull out the weeds? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them and to put the wheat in the barn. And a little bit later after this, um, a few parables later, the disciples and Jesus are like going in for the evening, eating dinner and all that stuff. And, and they, they say, Jesus, can you explain this story to us? And he begins to explain it. And he talks about how the, these are all people. This is the, we, the, the seeds of the gospel. People are either receiving the gospel or not. There's, there's um, uh, weeds that are put in here. And all this is people. And then, he, and then he says, well, do we pull out the weeds? This is people. Do we pull out the, the bad people? And Jesus says, no, you don't. I'll take care of that. Okay? Now, We do see some other scripture where there is some uh, very healthy biblical context of of discipline within the body of Christ. And there are are, uh, explanations of times when you completely eradicate somebody from your midst. I think that is very, very rare. Okay? I've been a pastor for 32 years, and I've only done that once in 32 years. I had plenty of times when I wanted to. But biblically, that's not... It's not okay. Now, here's something important with this, and then I'll switch gears to where we, how we're going to use this. But I, I also believe that one of the reasons you don't go and start trying to pull the weeds or pull the bad people out so quickly and discard them is a few things. One is they may not be as bad as you think, and their heart may be not as bad as you think, and the Holy Spirit's still working on them, and they can change. That's grace, Okay. Another thing is, is, as people, we're horrible judges sometimes, and we can be pulling the wrong people out. 
I, I can't tell you how many times over the years where I have seen in church settings that the person that everybody thinks is the great one is actually the bad person, and everybody thinks it's a bad person is, is a good person. And we would pull the wrong weeds out sometimes. We'd pull, we'd pull good people out thinking that they're weeds. And I think that's part of the reason that the Lord says this. Now, it also talks about that he's going he's gonna to judge everybody at the end of this thing. Right? He is. And we'll see some more scripture about that. But even all the stuff that we're seeing across our country right now, I know this doesn't help sometimes when you're right in the middle of it, but God is the final authority. He is the judge, and he is going to hold every single human on this planet and in our government accountable for who they are. They will stand before him for all of this. You say, yeah, but they are. What about right now? What about my kids? Well, that's why you get engaged. That's why you get involved. That's why you do stuff. Don't complain about your school. Become a, a, a school board member. Do something. But God's going to hold everybody accountable. Now, before we point fingers and let that be a, yeah, that's right, they are going to, better be careful because you also are going to be stand uh, in judgment. Every human is going to stand before God and be judged. Right? So that should always encourage us to have grace. Because um, there's some bad people out there. There are. Some horrible bad people. But be careful because uh, we all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All right. Now, I'm going to switch gears with this, and and I'm going to use this story as a springboard that is not about people. It's about the seeds itself, okay? That um, God gives you seeds to plant, Satan gives you seeds to plant, and you decide which ones you're going to plant. Okay, let me, let me kind of jump to the, to the chase scene a little quicker. Most of the couples that I, um, pre-married couples that I counsel with nowadays, uh, have, have been, have had sex before marriage, okay? That is so much a part of our culture today that even kids that grow up in the church and they know that and they know the truth and they have sex before marriage, and so they, they come in and they're a little worried, they're a little, they're first they're guilty, but they're feeling guilty, they're feeling condemned, I'm not just convicted. And so I try to explain some of this, I'm not trying to explain it away, okay? Um, they have sinned, there's no doubt about that, and I try to make that clear. But, but here's the reality, is God's grace is big, but you need to take some intentional steps about this. You need to do something. First, to, per, to pretend that never happened is, is very dangerous for you, for your spiritual walk, and for your marriage. Okay, and I'm just using one, one sin. There's a lot of stuff in our life. Um, when, you, when you're saying, okay, we're going to be married together, you, you actually need to work on this. You need to talk about this. You need to deal with this. And, um, and I'll have the couples process this. Now, I don't make them process through that with me in the room. Okay? I, give them the, I give them the foundation, what they need to do and how they do it, and then they can do this. But here's what happens. I, years ago, I was, I was uh, counseling with this couple, and this was, they were about to get married, and they had both had some very rough uh, life and rough circumstances and a lot of stuff, a lot of sin, a lot of baggage. And so I'm explaining this. And, and so here's one of the examples that I use is if you, if you have sex before marriage, even if it's only with the person that you're marrying, now follow this, 
there is still a brokenness when it comes to trust. Okay, so, so then 15 years later, and guys, I've dealt with this so many times over the years. I can't, I, I can't even keep up with the numbers. Where now a, 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 a couple has been married 10, 15, 20 years, and jealousy jumps into their relationship. Because Satan is going to always use whatever tool he has against you. And you say, well, I'm not really a jealous kind of person. Okay, then wait a while because Satan will use that, and he'll manipulate you in such a way that all of a sudden you are a jealous kind of person. It may be small, maybe for a season, but will do this. So, so your spouse goes off to work, and your process is, and all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, well, he or she, well, well you know, they, they, they really are talking about all their friends at work a lot, and this and that, and then how do I know they're not cheating on me? How do I know? And then Satan starts to grow that in your head. Well, here's what happens. This seems so small, but it is so big, is if you can look back in your relationship and say, even when we were getting married, two or three weeks before getting married, I really wanted to have sex. And he, she, kept saying, no, we're not going to do this. It strengthens your resolve in them later. That you know that they said no to you, the most important person in their life, when it was the most difficult. I tell couples when they're getting married, the last, the last few weeks, the last month or two, don't be alone a lot together. Oh, no, we, we love Jesus. I know, and, and I love you is why I'm telling you this. Don't be alone a lot together. It's, it's easy. It's easy to fall there. Why? God designed you this way. He wants you to desire your spouse. Not just once you say, I do. I, I mean, that doesn't even make sense unless it's an arranged marriage kind of thing. He wants you to desire your spouse. That is, that is growing and developing and building in your mind and your spirit and everything before you get married. If you can say no then, it helps later. Well, I'm saying this to this couple and they're processing it and, you know, their eyes are getting bigger and they're like... Because then I explain how then... Um, Satan is feeding all of this stuff. If, you, if you're bringing all this sin and all this stuff into this, Satan is going to use this years later. And then they, you know, their eyes are like, but you can tell they were like, well, why are you even going to get married then? We have no hope. Because they had had a rough life. We have no hope. No, here's the reality. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, there's always hope. There's always forgiveness. The Holy Spirit is the regenerator. He fixes and, and heals and all this other kind of stuff. But I think you have to take some intentional steps. Because here's what I have found. When you, God, God's get, got seeds for you. Satan has seeds. You choose which one of those piles you pull out of and plant into your life. You choose that. Satan doesn't choose that. God doesn't choose that. God provides everything you need for life and godliness. And Satan provides every lie you need to destroy yourself. You decide which seeds you plant from. So here's what I, and I, and I found, I, I, I figured this out practically before I understood it theologically. You don't decide when those seeds grow. You don't decide how they grow. The only thing you decide is do you plant them? God decides how the seeds you took from him grow. And Satan decides how the seeds you took from him grow. And wind, by the way. 
And Satan can wait and wait and wait until just at the right moment when everything in your life is, is kind of fitting all of the modes, modes that Satan is trying to develop, he'll cause those seeds to start growing. So what do I do? How do I combat that? That means, no, I'm, that means my, my life is doomed. I've planted too many seeds, right? Now, this is what people come to me over the years, and they say, well, I've done too many bad things. This is what they're thinking is, I've, got, I've planted too many seeds. How do I, what, what do I do here? Um, I strongly believe that couples should have deep, deep levels of communication, intimacy. I've talked about that the last few weeks. But I also know this, and I always have people that disagree with me with this, but I, I do think this, and I have to say it. I don't necessarily, this, this is the part where you don't go and start pulling all the weeds out because you tear a lot of good stuff out in the process. I don't necessarily think that your spouse needs to know everything about you, that every little thing you did before you connected with them. Okay, Now, I think that's a personal decision, by the way. Lynn and I have talked about stuff a lot more than probably most couples ever would. But I don't necessarily think they need to know everything because sometimes that's, that's taking a chunk of ground and pulling that out, and you're pulling a lot of good stuff out too. Maybe you need to get it under the blood and talk to Jesus about it, and you don't have to share that with them. Now, I don't know for sure how this looks in your particular world because Lynn and I have very open communication about our past. But is this something that God is leading you to tell them? Is it not? You, I think you need to go there. I think you need to ask God. Now, Lynn and I also got married at 20. We didn't have a lot of stuff, right? We had, we had, known, we had been dating each other for two years. We didn't have a lot of stuff. But I also think that we try to do this in our life, and then we try to grab hold of this situation, and we try to fix it, and we try to tear it down, we try to do all this other stuff. And there's a lot of wreckage that comes along. Instead of putting it before Jesus, letting him cover it with the blood, and letting the Holy Spirit tell you how to deal with that, instead of you just try to figure it out and take care of it. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. I'm gonna... and, and sometimes your, your spouse is the one that is caught in the, in the uh, destruction of all of this stuff. If you're going to unpack some of that stuff, here's what I would suggest, okay? All, all of this last part of suggestion, it's not, I don't necessarily know that Jesus is giving me this all. This is my suggestion. Because if you're going to really unpack some big stuff in your marriage, you might want to do that in front of a counselor instead of just you two. Because it might quickly get to a place where you don't know what to do now. And you, and you might potentially be causing more problems than helping unless it's done in the right way. So maybe process that out a little bit with somebody. Now, here's the question. What happens? How do you, if you've planted all these seeds and Satan is going to decide how they grow and everything else, what hope do you have? Let me, let me compound this a little bit before I, I, I make it better. Job chapter 4 verse 8. My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. When you plant sin, you're going to harvest sin. You're going to harvest the effects of that. When you plant evil, you're going to harvest the effects of that. When you plant selfishness, you're going to harvest the effects of that. And this going back to what we're seeing across the nation, um, there are people that will uh, harvest what they're planting right now. Okay? 
It's not our responsibility to try to fix everything, everybody, in every situation. And this includes all the stuff in our life. You can't just go and start first pretending that you didn't do something wrong, and then second, just try to sweep it under the rug and let's not deal with it. I do think you have to deal with this stuff, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you learn how to do that. Okay. Now, I've been talking about all this from a lot of um, personal experience also. A lot of what I'm talking about here comes from I had done... I had to go down this road and figure this, some of this stuff out. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, he's talking about negative, but I'm going to show you something here. He says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. And it doesn't matter how, how many uh, good things you've done uh, there's a lot of bad things you've done, okay? But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest ever, everlasting life from the Spirit. So now we're seeing the other side of this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good, and that is a crucial sentence I'm going to focus on. At just the right time, He, this is the Holy Spirit, will harvest, will re, you will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity... We should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Now, let's go back to the, the, uh, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, because this is, this is what I figured it out. Now, again, I didn't figure this out first for marriage. It was for uh, my life, spiritual walk, and everything else, is there, there is a lot of things that's being planted every single day in your life, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, um, uh, financial, there's all kinds of stuff constantly be planted in your life. you got two piles to choose from. You choose from God's seeds. You choose from Satan's seeds. There's not a middle ground. There's not a no seeds. There's not a, there's not a neutral seeds. There's God's seeds and there's Satan's seeds. And even as Christians sometimes, we plant Satan's seeds because of just attitude or situation. Here, here's the easiest way to explain that. Have you ever said something to somebody you wish you wouldn't have? Okay, that's not a God seed, all right? And that does have repercussions that will affect us. So this is the way I, I explain it to uh, pre-married couples. You've got a field. Your life is a field. So you've got a field, and, you're, and your uh, almost-to-be spouse has a field. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take those two fields, and you're going to put them together. And now you've got one field. It's called you, both of you, it's your marriage, it's your life. This field, he or she, may be a really beautiful field with no weeds. It's all beautiful wheat. And this field may be all tumbleweeds, will work right now in our world, tumbleweeds. You put these fields together, now this field, put together with this field, is no longer all wheat. Now, I've done this before with couples, and one of them will look at the other one and begin to say, because why? They know they've been serving God. They know their spouse has not been, or their fiancé has not been serving God. Now we're about to combine two fields together. I've worked hard all my life to serve the Lord, and now you're going to bring all your tumbleweeds into my field? Well, the answer is, yep. It's called marriage. Now, it's not the end of the world. It's not... There's no hope. It's the, actually the other way around. I figured out years ago, the way you have a good yard um, is not necessarily pick weeds. Okay? 
It's not a bad idea. But if you talk to the companies that do this, this is their existence. You don't have companies that are out there picking weeds in people's yards. They say, we will make your grass so healthy that it will choke out the weeds. You will have healthy green yard because the weeds will not have a place. And everything we do will be to complement the grass and to hinder or hurt the weeds through, through spraying, through adding, whatever the case is. But the idea of just getting in there and picking out weeds only provides an open area. And in fact, in this climate, I have found, because I, I study my yard and stuff like this, is those little clover weeds um, will grow anywhere there's an open space. And if, once they start growing, there's always a weed that follows them, and that's goat heads. Well, I don't want either one of those, so what do I do? Well, I pull that out, but that's an open space. Well, here's the thing. You plant grass. You make sure there's grass. You make sure the grass is healthy. So here is the good news. Yes, we will be held accountable for all the stuff that we will, but the Holy Spirit also can, can cause there to be health in the planting that's going on. The Holy Spirit will make sure that you're reaping the stuff that you've planted from the Lord. Okay, And when Satan tries to grow something that you planted 15 years ago, and you say, well, isn't that under the blood? Yes, it's under the blood, but you've also planted some stuff. And this is where... In, in Christianity, we don't, we don't understand this. We don't have a good, healthy view of this. It's the, this is the example I always use, is when, I'm, um, when I go visit somebody in the jail, and I'm talking to them in the jail, and they say, okay, and then they get saved, and they say, I'm a Christian now. Now, will Jesus get me out of jail? Well, the spiritual jail, he just got you out of. Physical jail, you're in. Because why? You got yourself here. Right? When you're really struggling in your marriage and you've said and done some things that are, are horrible within your marriage, just because you say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge, doesn't mean all those things are, are fixed and, and, uh, and your spouse has forgotten all that stuff and we've all moved on and everything. That's not, that's not the way it works. Now, I've seen the Holy Spirit do things way beyond what I thought possible. But you still i have been planting stuff and thinking and saying and doing the, the example I talked about last week about um, pornography, when you, get, when you get that under the blood and you get forgiven of that and you really are saying, I'm going to stop this, I'm not going to be a part of this anymore, those images are still there in your head. And, and Satan will use those against you. Can the Lord take those away? Sure, and you can work on that. But guys, you also have to understand the way your brain works, the way your your body works, those images are going to be available there and Satan is going to do the best he can to make them available. That doesn't mean you can't fix this, but here's what you have to do. You've got to plant a lot of the right seeds. You've got to be intentional about planting the seeds. Say the right stuff. Do the things you're supposed to do. Have the right attitude. And, and the, the scripture that I read, don't get weary in doing the right thing. 
Don't get tired of this. This is one of the things that happens in our, in our married life is we do good for a while and then we just kind of get lazy and we start to take that person for granted and we start taking our world for granted and then we can start talking, acting in such a way that is, that is no longer what I talked about three weeks ago, that it's no longer about this person is the knight in shining armor, this person is the princess and that's how I'm going to think and treat them. We start just getting into the, to the uh, ruts of life. That's what we have to combat. Taking our spouse for granted is one of the easiest things to do, and it's one of the most destructive things to do. We take them for granted, first, as an individual created by God. Second is who they are, what they bring to the table. I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and we were, Lynn and I were driving down the road, and, and, um, and I said to her, just, I was thinking, just processing, and I said to her, I, I can't imagine... Living my life without you. And she said, why, have you been trying? <laughs> I thought, you're not helping. I'm trying to. The, the, the moment I'm trying to be romantic. So I told her, yes, I try often. I... But here's the thing is, it's so easy to take that person for granted. It's so easy to take marriage for granted. I, it's, it's so bizarre to me how, how common it is in today's society to cheat on your spouse. It's just it's kind of what we do. It's, our, it's who we are as a people. I don't understand that. I, I don't understand. It, it, it just doesn't connect in my head. I can't even imagine having a conversation with somebody to get to that point. Lynn, Lynn and I have talked about this sometimes. How, how do you get to that place? How do you get to the place where now you're cheating on somebody? Don't you have to have some conversations or something along the way? I mean, obviously you do. How does that go? I don't know. Can you guys help me? I'm just kidding. Please don't. But I, I don't understand that because to me that is a, that's, I, it's not my existence. It's not my thought process. We, we set this up years ago. In fact, this is a thing for our staff and everything, but I don't. I don't be alone with, with uh, women. I just don't. Uh, if, somebody, if a woman comes to church to, to talk in a council, as long as you keep the door open, we can sit in there. If you want to close the door, which sometimes they need to, if you want to close the door, we get to ask somebody else to join us. That's just the way it is. I don't, I don't distrust them. I don't distrust me. I don't, but that's just the way it is. Um, I've had, because of, because of some of the the things going on in my life today, I have meetings where somebody will say, well, can we meet together at this? Sure. I'll take, if, if it's a single woman, I mean a woman by herself, I, I've taken my daughter to two of these meetings. She's like, Dad, I'm like, I'm sorry, you get to listen to a lobbyist today. I don't, I don't do meetings with women by myself. So I don't know how there would ever be this place. I think it's because we begin to not respect marriage. We not respect our spouse. And we see this big pile of seeds sitting there and we say, well, probably one seed wouldn't hurt. But let's plant one thing. I'm not saying a physical act. I'm saying a thought in your head, an attitude in your heart. I can plant one seed and it begins to grow. It begins to germinate. And that seed does not stay that same size. It gets big. It becomes something. We don't see it that way. 
If you can, if you can teach yourself, how do I not get weary in doing this, but I plant every day, I plant what? Jesus seeds. Every day I plant seeds with the right attitude in the right direction. Of what? Of what the Bible says our marriage is supposed to look like, what the Bible says I'm supposed to look like, how I'm supposed to treat my spouse. I'm going to plant these seeds. I've had this conversation with, with um, um, uh, business people. Well, our workplace or whatever. Okay, well, what are you planting to make that workplace good? It doesn't matter whether that's a Christian workplace. It has nothing to do with it. You can plant stuff all day long with attitudes and words and prayer and, and the, the treating people the right way. Well, nobody in our company treats anybody right. Then you change the company. You change whatever area that you can plant in. You plant the right stuff. You know, the, the, this is an overly simplistic example. When people talk about, well, if you smile at people, they'll smile back. Well, first I found that's not true. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm going to smile, right? I can still smile. I can still have the, the right attitude. We were talking about this the other day where guys are, are it's intimidating for guys to, to treat women the way that they're supposed to treat them. And specifically younger guys, we're seeing this as a statistical thing going on that that uh, men 30 and under are very uncomfortable, and a lot of men 30 and under are basically not dating anymore. This is a weird phenomenon that's happened in our country because they're scared to death that whatever they do is going to be, they're, they're, somebody's going to um, shout some kind of attack or something negative or you're misogynistic or you're something phobic or something else, so they just basically are dropping out. And, and uh, we were talking about this the other day, and some guys were saying, yeah, if I open the door for a woman, I have to be careful because some women will attack me for that. Verbally. But you know what? That doesn't change me. I still open the door. I, by the way, I open the door for men too. I open the door for anybody. And I've taught my boys, you open the door for women. You do. What if they say, well, I'm a woman. I don't. Then just stand there. Somebody will eventually go through the door. That you don't change you because of outside external mentalities and attitudes. Men, be a gentleman regardless of whether the woman under even, even understands what you're being. Treat people. Plant the right seeds. Do the right things. Talk to people the way they need to be talked to. Interact with people the way they need to be interacted with. You can change any context you're in. Specifically in your marriage, do this stuff. Well, I could tell she was in a bad mood today. Okay, but treat her the right way. Don't we? And I know I'm saying something that sounds very simple, right? Just so easy. Just treat her right. But I understand. He comes home. He's being a jerk. She comes home. He, she's being a jerk. And you're like, well, I don't have to deal with that. I don't know who you think you are. I came in this door. You can get right back out that door. You know, I understand that. I understand that. But if we're wanting to see our marriage be something, Rather than complain that it's not, make it that. Plant that. Whatever that is. Look at this in Psalms 126. This is, this is some things, regardless of the type of marriage you've had or whether you, previous marriage, the difficulties or whatever. Look at this. In, in verse 4, Psalms 126, he says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. Now, that's difficult if you haven't started seeing the harvest yet. But you keep planting. What's difficult? She treats me bad. He treats me bad. Okay, keep planting. Well, they've done this. They've said, okay, keep planting. 
This is one of the things that I've had conversations with um, couples over the years that there's been infidelity and they stay with them. I tell them, okay, if you stay with them, then first you can't hold that over their head the rest of their life. If you're going to do that, leave them. And, and by the way, I don't believe in just leaving them. I don't think that's biblical. But if you're just going to hold it over their head the rest of their life, leave them because you're now the problem. Well, they cheated. Okay, are you going to forgive? Are you going to move forward? Are you going to hold this over them? If you're going to stay together, which is a very doable thing, then start expecting a harvest of joy because you're planting seeds in the times of crying and the tears and everything else. Don't hold it against them. Don't keep beating them up with this. And don't beat yourself up with this. And don't beat marriage up with this. Plant the seeds you need to plant. Do that through your prayer. Do that through your, your deep tears moment. But then expect there to be harvest of joy. Expect that. Go that direction. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. This is like deep core stuff. This is, this is much deeper, I think, than sometimes we process. Now, if you've been here, you understand it a lot better than somebody that's, that maybe hasn't been there. But to really weep and pray. By, this thing, by the way, I've seen this the same way with parents over children that are not serving God. Weeping over that child, praying over that child. Guess what? You're going to receive a harvest that's going to have shouts of joy. But you've got to stay there. You've got to stay there. You can't get weary in doing the right thing. Keep planting the seed. Keep planting the seed. Keep planting the seed. Even when you don't feel like it, keep planting the seed. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 12. I'm only going to read verse 12 because no matter which direction I went, it got, it got weird. Song of Solomon is a very sexual book. And, and people are like, no, it's all imagery. And all these, all these theologians that like to pretend like God doesn't know what sex is, um, they say, well, no, it's all imagery. And it's this and it's no. Most of Song of Solomon is very sexual and some is sex. Um, but I want to pull this part out. And yes, this, is, this, this whole context of this chapter is about sex. But I want to pull this one sentence out. Man's talking to the woman. He says, you are my private garden. That, that is a sexual statement, by the way. Okay? That's why I'm not going to unpack that part. You're my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. I, I, I love the verbiage. I love this that Solomon is saying here. That the, the respect and the understanding of, of his spouse and how he's processing this. That, that she's his garden. She is where he plants the seeds, nowhere else. There's no other gardens. She's his garden. That she's his treasure. That she's the most important thing to him. See, I think this is a mindset before it ever turns into action. If you don't see your spouse this way, you're never going to treat your spouse this way. If you don't see your spouse as a beautiful treasure, you're not going to treat her that way. If you don't see him as the, the, the most important thing in your existence, he will know it because you're not treating him that way. That she's my treasure, that she's my bride. A secluded spring. A by yourself, you two only spring. 
That the only place you get your refreshing, the only place that you get your life sustainingness is coming from her. No one else. No visual thing. This is why I pick on this and something that is so common and it seems so innocuous in our country, but it's not. That, that we go to a movie and we watch naked people on movies. I don't understand that. Don't do that. God, women, you may not understand the depth of this, but he is, he is drinking from that spring. And it is getting into his mind. It won't go away. And it is getting to an, into his spirit. You don't want that. And then later, when you two are being romantic, that's what is in his head. Whether he wants it there or not, Satan will make sure that that image is what is in his head. Guys, she is your only spring. She is the only place that you drink from. She is the only place that you get the emotional and the, and the physical and the intimacy. She is the only place. And obviously, ladies, he's the only place. That she is a hidden fountain. You're making these choices. You're making these decisions. So what do you want your, your marriage to be built upon? We say love. That's too big. It's too broad. What does that even mean? I want it to be built on love. Define that. Process that. When I'm doing this with pre-married kids, some of them 50, um, when I'm doing this with pre-married people, I, I'll, I, I encourage them to go, after each session, go home and talk about this part. Go on and talk about this part. Set a time. When you get to the car on your way home, set a time when you're going to talk about this. It may be right then and you start the conversation, but set a time before you get with me the next week, set a time and talk about this stuff. Well, this is one of the things. What do you want your marriage to look like? You might be surprised if you actually ask your spouse about this. They may have a very different view of what this is supposed to look like. I've, I've done this with, with uh, couples that are getting older and they're kind of looking toward the uh, retirement mentality. I say, what do you want your retirement to look like? I had this couple one time that he said, well, I want to buy an uh, uh, RV or what do you call those? Yeah, I guess an RV. And, um, and this one drive around the country. And she looked at him like, I am not ever getting in an RV. Well, we got some issues. Right? Because why? They hadn't thought about it. They hadn't even thought about it enough to talk about it. But he already had an idea what it was going to look like. She did too. It was very different. Right? What do you want your marriage to look like? What do you want, what do you want Tuesdays to look like? What, what, do you, what do you think, when you say love, what does that mean? Have you ever discussed it? Because you can plant that stuff. You can plant things. What about communication? What do you think communication is? What, is? what does your spouse think communication is? I have never found a couple that thinks exactly the same about what communication is, much less communicating, but even what it is. How do you communicate? Talking is a very small part of communication, right? What about uh, family dynamics? I do this with young couples that, you know, they're um, already married, they're talking about having kids, whatever the case is, and, and I'll say, okay, have you guys ever talked about having kids? Oh, yeah, we talk about it. We want kids. I don't mean having a kid. I mean having kids. Like there's a child in the house. What do we do with that? <laughs> have you ever talked about that? Okay, so, so let me break it down so you understand. Now, you guys have been married um, a long time. Your kids are already grown. You understand 
But I'm talking about a couple that has not had a child yet or they're pregnant or something else. And I'll say something simple like, well, who changes the diapers? What? What? Talk about what are, what are you actually playing to? You don't even have a clue sometimes. And no matter where you go in the process, you don't know what the next step is. You finally get the, the diapers and all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden your child is now going to be starting to go to school. Do you send them to public school? Do you send them to a charter school? Do you homeschool them? Do you let them just sit in the closet and suck their thumb? What do you do? Have you talked about it? Are you processing this? So we're not even really doing that very well in most marriages. Any of the how do you deal with uh, with uh, teenagers? When do they start dating? When do they drive? How do you okay with that? What what about group dates? Do they do you even do you even are you ever even going to let them out of the house once they start going through puberty? I mean, have you even talked about this stuff? And I find that they haven't. So I know if we're not talking about most of that stuff, are we really even talking about what our marriage is supposed to look like? How we interact with each other? Here's one of the things that I've found many times over the years is most couples have no idea how to talk about sexuality. They don't, they don't talk about sex. Well, it'll just happen. That, it, that is a true statement. But I counsel with people that have been married 25 years, and they are miserable within their sex life. Miserable. They've never talked about it. They never, they've never prayed about it. I've had couples before sit at my office and say, well, let's, let's pray about your sex life. What? Like God's going, you have a sex life? What? Talk to God about it. Pray about this stuff. It's, it's, it's weird, guys, how we don't do this. So then what's happening? What seeds are we planting? We don't even know. Half the time, we don't even know what seeds we're planting. Because we haven't even talked about it. We don't know if these are good seeds, bad seeds. We don't know if it's, if it's healthy for them or, or healthy for us because we don't talk about it. Many times over the years, I've talked with couples that they've done, that he's doing something, she's doing something. They both thought the other one really liked and appreciated what the other doing, and they hated it. But they just never told anybody. Never told somebody. Well, what do you want to look like? What about family dynamics, discipline, how the family works, schedule, education, um, extracurricular, all this kind of stuff? How do you think family works? And then how do you treat each other, verbally, physically, sexually? How do you treat each other? Do you, do you know what seeds you're planting? What you plant will grow. Why don't you stand with me? The way we talk to each other, what seeds are you planting? Is it good, bad? Sometimes people will pick on um, me because I'm the vocal one about this. I'm the one who stands up here every week about how Lynn and I interact. Um, she actually, she said this to me two days ago. She said, people just don't get us. They don't understand who we are. They think we're, they think we're griping at each other. We're not. That's, that's love talk to us. But it's, it's, not, it's not important what other people outside of your marriage think because it's vitally important what you two think. Are you praying about this? Are you talking about this? Are you actually interacting with each other? Have you ever just asked your spouse, 
What do you want to hear more from, of, from me? And what do you want to hear less of from me? What is it? Do you even know? Well, I don't like it when you say this. Have you ever talked about it? Planting the seeds. God, we submit our marriage to you. I submit who, who I am. First, you're just an individual, Lord, that I belong to you. And God, I want to look out across my marriage and it be perfectly beautiful green wheat. I can see it growing. I can see it healthy. Lord, I don't want to see any weeds. I don't want there to be any weeds. So God, help me to plant the seeds that you have in, in my life, in my in my in my workplace as a father, but then also, Lord, as a husband. I want to plant the right words, the right attitudes in my marriage. I want to plant the right words and have the right attitude with Linda at all times. And I know that seems impossible from our point of view, but Lord, I believe you know that it is possible. God, that we have the right attitude toward each other that I really see her as my treasure, as that stream of refreshing, that she is the source of all the things I need. In the name of Jesus. That she's, she's my joy. She's my direction. She's my, my princess. Help me to see that in my mind and my spirit. And I pray that for everyone in here, every guy in here, that they will see their spouse as their, their, their only, one and only source of all the things they need, uh, intimacy and connection. God, and I know that most marriages, and, and even including our church, most marriages struggle in all of these areas. But God, we strive. We strive for a marriage that looks more like what you want it to and less like what we are trying to create it into. We plant your seeds of grace with each other. We plant your seeds of mercy. We plant your seeds of love, of true unconditional love that we're all in. We plant your seeds of commitment. We plant your seeds of just having the right attitude, the right mindset. Plant your seeds of submission to each other. God, we thank you for this. God, I pray that every marriage in here will talk about this. Push them. Push them to talk about this. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I would like to encourage you. This is kind of like homework here. Talk to your spouse sometime. 
today about, hey, would you like to talk about some of this? Here's a simple question. Years ago, I used to have couples start with this. What do I do that you don't like? I found that's not the, that's not the starting question, okay? That goes too bad too quickly. But here you can say this and say something simple. What, what is something that I say to you that you really like? Start there. What is something that I do that you really like? Even if I haven't done it in years. <laughs> what is something I do that you really like? let that broaden out into conversation, right? Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Plant a seed. It'd be amazing what Jesus can do with that. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are they're here, and we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.